Hi everyone, welcome back to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. Last week, I introduced two more names and you got to hear a creepy-ass poem written by one of them. This week, I am going to go over the police reports from the officers at the scene on that sad early morning of March 2nd, 2017. I will also play Stacy's police interview in its entirety, and it's extremely maddening. Beware! Are you ready? Let's do this! So I finally obtained some of the requested documents regarding Brittany Bell's investigation, or lack thereof, in my opinion. I will read and critique some of the official narratives included in the police report, and I will also play the entire audio recording of Brittany's roommate, Stacy's interview. You guys, Please know that I was able to receive this delicate information because Brittany's case was closed on November 9th, 2017, and that is extremely premature in my opinion. Actually, premature may not be the right word. If her case was properly investigated, I actually believe it would have been closed sooner than that, and Brittany and her family would already have justice. So, I guess maybe the word I'm looking for is more along the lines of negligence, in my opinion. Now, I do have to say that I don't necessarily think Kokomo Police Department was intentionally negligent, But I have my suspicions, and I'm guessing each of you will as well by the end of this episode. All right, let's get to it. There are 18 officers involved in Brittany Bell's death investigation, ranging from sergeants, lieutenants, captains, and patrol officers to various officers in the records department. The original narrative was written by Sergeant Williams on March 2nd, 2017 at 3.59 a.m. According to the officer's crime scene login sheet, Sergeant Williams arrived at Brittany's apartment at 3.23 a.m. His narrative is in part as follows, quote, Upon my arrival, I spoke to the complainant identified as Anthony, Anthony advised that around 2 p.m., Stacy sent him a text message asking when he was going to be there. He advised that she then told him that Bell was asleep and not waking up. He was advised to come check on her. He later received a text from Stacy asking if he had spoke with Brittany and he advised that he had fell asleep and he had not yet made contact with her, end quote. Okay, in his police interview, just minutes later, Anthony's recollection is the following. Uh, my friend, I met her sister calls me. Can you come pick me up? Say, yeah, I'll come pick you up. And then she, my daughter-in-law had my car. She calls back and said, well, can you hurry? And I said, what's wrong? She said, well, Brittany is not responding. She um, took a whole bunch of pills. She's not responding. I said, well, okay, as soon as when she comes, I'm going to come. But I'm going to check on her and make sure she's okay before I leave. Because Stacy was like, well, when you come, I'm going to come to the car with to go. She can't deal with this. She can't be out here like this or whatever. I said, well, I'm going to check on her. Well, before my daughter-in-law came back with the car, she calls back and says, well, she's um, talking now, and uh, um, I'm going to come straight out to the car. When I got down there, I said, okay, if everything's okay, I'll go ahead and check it. So when I got there, I got out the car, was walking up there, but Stacy was already on her way out. Stacy is your 
girlfriend's daughter uh, or sister. Uh-huh. So um, she was carrying a blanket and this and that. And I just went on and went back to the car and went on and dropped her off. And you guys, I want to remind you that KPD did not ask to look at Anthony's phone to verify the times, phone numbers, or conversations. I feel like that is something that would be taught in detective class 101, but what the fuck do I know? Sergeant Williams goes on to report, quote, Anthony advised that he was able to just walk in, and upon checking the apartment, he found Belle in the back bedroom. He showed me where he found Belle, and upon entering the bedroom, I observed Belle lying on the bedroom floor. She was naked from the waist down and wearing only a tank top and bra with her right breast exposed. Lividity was covering most of the entire length of the body. End quote. I'm going to pause right there. If you are anything like me, the first time I heard someone talk about lividity or liver mortis, I was confused as fuck. You guys, there are four stages of death, and these four stages are useful in helping to narrow down a time of death. I'm going to share with you my Notes version, thanks to scienceabc.com, to help clear any confusion. The first stage of death is pallor mortis. This is when the skin gets pale because blood stops circulating and occurs within 15 to 30 minutes of death. The second stage is algor mortis. This is when the deceased body's temperature changes. Within seconds of death, brain cells begin to die and the heart stops pumping blood, which causes the corpse to match the outside temperature. This usually takes 18 to 20 hours. The third stage of death is rigor mortis. After a few hours post-death, the muscles will contract and become rigid and the muscles freeze in the position that they are in. The smaller muscles, like those of the eyelids, face, fingers, and toes, stiffen first due to their small size, and this process, you guys, of rigor starts within two hours of death and usually peaks around that 12-hour time. On average, rigor mortis lasts for 24 to 48 hours, depending on factors like temperature. The final stage is called liver mortis. When the heart stops beating, the blood is now at the mercy of gravity. So lividity starts with the skin where the blood has settled, appearing to be a bright red color. After a few hours, the color changes to a bluish purple, and this can take about six to eight hours. After approximately 12 hours, the blood gets fixed there and stays that bluish color, which is then called liver mortis, or lividity. So, after observing Brittany's photos, it is clear to me that she is still in full rigor mortis at 3.12 a.m. when Officer Rogers took pictures. And it appears to me that liver mortis is fixed in that bluish purple color. Therefore, my opinion is that Brittany Bell had been deceased for around that 12-hour mark when she was found at 3.06 a.m. on March 2nd, 2017. Now that you're hopefully feeling a little bit smarter after that mini lesson, let's get back to Sergeant Will I Am's narrative. Quote, Medics arrived shortly after Detective Rogers and confirmed the death. I assisted Officer Smith in clearing the rest of the apartment and securing the scene. I then followed Anthony to the police station to obtain a statement from him, end quote. You guys, Sergeant Williams' official on-scene arrival is 3.23 a.m. And Anthony is seen in interview room number one at 3.38 a.m. According to MapQuest, the distance from Brittany's apartment to Kokomo Police Department is 2.8 miles and takes about six minutes by car. So, according to your official documents, 
that within 15 minutes, Sergeant Williams arrived on scene, spoke with Anthony about what occurred in the afternoon on March 1st, spoke to Anthony about what occurred in the early hours of March 2nd, was led by Anthony to view Brittany's lifeless body, asked dispatch to notify the coroner, assisted Officer Smith in clearing the apartment and securing the scene, walked to his car, followed Anthony for the six-minute drive to the police station, walked Anthony into the station and into interview room number one, all within 15 minutes. I suppose it could happen, but not likely, in my opinion. And listen to this. The second-to-last sentence Sergeant Williams reports is, quote, It must be noted that this incident was recorded on my Axon camera, but only the last part of the incident due to the camera malfunctioning, which has been brought to the attention of my supervisors prior to this incident. End quote. Excuse me? What if this happened to your child's death investigation? Sergeant Williams and supervisors. How is this okay? A sergeant and his supervisors had knowledge of a malfunctioning camera. And yet, this is the camera that was used when dispatched to a crime scene. What if this happened to you? Next narrative, written by Patrol Officer Smith at 4.15 a.m. on March 2nd, 2017. Quote, I arrived on scene after Officer Williams. Officer Williams was speaking with a male subject who was identified as Anthony. Officer Williams informed me the unconscious person was in the far back bedroom of the apartment. End quote. You guys, Officer Smith said Officer Williams was already on scene upon his arrival, right? Then why the fuck does the official crime scene log state Smith's arrival time is 3.13 a.m. and Williams' arrival time is 3.23 a.m.? That is 10 minutes after Smith, not before. How in the hell is anyone expected to trust this investigation when Kokomo Police Department can't even clock in correctly? He then said, quote, I went into the apartment and observed a female, later identified as Brittany Bell, in the back bedroom on the ground laying on her back, and she had a tank top, bra, and no pants. I observed her body was purple and it appeared rigor mortis had set in, end quote. I want you guys to know that Brittany Bell was identified via her driver's license that was found in the kitchen area of the apartment. No person actually identified her body. The first time Brittany's parents, Donna and Donnell, saw their beautiful baby girl post-death was inside her casket. The address on her driver's license is that of her parents' home, not the location she was found dead. How can Kokomo Police Department use a driver's license found not on the deceased body with an address not matching the location of the deceased body to identify the deceased body? Would this be acceptable to you, Officer Smith, if this happened to your child? Would you be okay with no one related to you identifying your child after death? If the answer is yes, then I call bullshit. Next narrative, written by S. Sargent on March 8th, 2017 at 3.22 p.m. This one is Anthony's interview conducted by Detective Benzinger. You guys, I'm not sure why Benzinger couldn't type his own narrative, his fingers seemed just fine when his disheveled ass was chugging his coffee and clearly taking god-awful notes during the interview. Quote, 
I advised Anthony that I had received brief information regarding why I needed to speak with him. Actually, you guys, this is what he said as they bonded over football that both of them played no less than 25 years ago. Here you go. I'm Rich Benzinger. I'm a detective that got called in to uh, talk to you. What, what, and I don't really have a real clear picture on what exactly is going on. Uh, they're just some real basic stuff. So let me start with getting your name. Are you, are you from here? Yes. You go to Kokomo? Yes. Play pal football? Yeah. I think I play for the Raiders? Yes. I think I played football with you for a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. With uh, Matt Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's going back a few days. Uh, Don't ask me how that popped into my memory. <laughs> I was just talking to um, this nice dude about that. Uh, Andre Gaylor. Mm-hmm. Say that was the only person I ever was scared um, across from me. And I said, I'm going to use my uh, speed against him. And in my opinion, that is when Benzinger should have stood up and asked another detective to conduct the interview. But instead, he just carried on. Quote, Mr. Jones advised that Brittany Bell was the roommate of his girlfriend's sister. Mr. Jones named his girlfriend's sister as Stacy. Actually, this is what happened. Um, how do you know Brittany? Um, from Facebook and one of my friends that went with her, but he's in jail. Zero mention of his girlfriend or his girlfriend's sister. You guys, his next sentence states, quote, I asked Mr. Jones, if she knew where Stacy was currently located since she was Brittany Bell's roommate and not currently present, end quote. The fuck you did, Benzinger. Take a listen. And what happened was the reason why I went out there is because her roommate, my girlfriend's sister, she was having a problem with drugs, uh, that spice. So we had became foster parents to our sister's son. So it was she your girlfriend's sister? Was Brittany her mate? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, before this, she was not allowed to stay stay with us anymore. And your girlfriend's sister had the drug problem. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, when she got out of jail, she stayed with this Brittany girl. Did any of you hear Benzinger ask Anthony where Stacy was? Nope. Me neither, because it didn't happen. The narrative then states, quote, Mr. Jones advised that he had received a telephone call from Stacy at approximately 2 p.m. on March 1st, 2017, at which point she told him that Brittany had been taking Klonopin pills, for which she had just obtained a prescription earlier that day, and Brittany had become unconscious and unresponsive, end quote. I met her sister calls me. Can you come pick me up? I say, yeah, I'll come pick you up. And then she, my daughter-in-law had my car. She calls back and said, well, can you hurry? And I said, what's wrong? She said, well, Brittany is not responding. She um, took a whole bunch of pills. She's not responding. I said, well, okay, as soon as when she comes, I'm going to come, but I'm going to check on her. Nowhere in that clip did Anthony say anything about Klonopin pills or obtaining a prescription that day. Back to the narrative. Quote, at that time, Stacy asked Anthony to come and pick her up because she didn't feel comfortable being inside of the apartment. Although Brittany had been using drugs, Anthony advised that he was also familiar with the fact that Stacy frequently used illegal drugs, including spice. End quote. 
Hold the fuck up, Benzinger. How do you know Brittany had been using drugs? Are you just going by what your football buddy is saying, or are you going to actually investigate to confirm his statement? What if someone said this about your daughter? Would you want proof? Back to the narrative. Quote, Anthony said that he told Stacy that he would come and pick her up. However, when he came to get her, he wanted to check on Brittany's well-being before they left and went anywhere. Anthony said that Stacy sounded as though she was protesting this and that it was not necessary. However, Anthony insisted. As he began driving to the apartment, he received another phone call from Stacy, at which point she advised that Brittany had woken up and was no longer unconscious and unresponsive, and that she was fine. However, Stacy still wished to leave the apartment, end quote. Hmm, that sounds super suspicious to me, Benzinger. Not you? This is really where Anthony was when this took place. So whatever. I said, well, I'm going to check on her. Well, before my daughter-in-law came back with the car, she calls back and says, well, she's um, talking now. And, uh... The truth is, Anthony was not driving to the apartment when Stacy called him back. He was at his home waiting for his daughter-in-law to bring him the car. Yes, that seems very minor, you guys, but when you put together all of these seemingly minor errors, it creates a major flaw in this detective's narrative. Benzinger goes on to talk about where Anthony brought Stacy, and Anthony says this. I think she was just trying to get me away from what's going on out there. And then this. the overdose theory that has since been proven via toxicology reports as false. And then you guys listen to what Anthony says. If I can, I'm going to help wherever I can. I'm not going to help cover up no no murder or, or... He said murder. Anthony suggested just hours after finding Brittany, that it could have been a murder. I wonder if he knows more than what he's sharing. The next portion of the narrative talks about what happened when Anthony found Brittany deceased and that, quote, Anthony advised that she was extremely cold to the touch, end quote. Remember from my mini lesson earlier, body temperature is a part of the algor mortis stage of death. For Brittany to be extremely cold to the touch tells me that she had been dead for many hours at that point. The narrative concludes with this, quote, I provided Anthony with my business card and asked him if he was able to make contact with Stacy to have her contact me at the police department as soon as possible so that she could be interviewed in reference to this case, end quote. But you guys... Here is what really was stated. Um, I'm going to give you my card before you leave. And if if you happen to talk to her before I've gotten a chance to get a hold of her, because if I try calling her number now, she's not answering for you. She's probably not going to answer for me either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, if you would let her 
arrested for having an addiction. You can't be arrested for for using. Uh, you, can, you can get arrested for possession. You just tell her make sure her pockets are empty. Right. She won't have to worry about anything when she comes up here. Um, I just need to know what what was being said, what was being done at the time that the, that, that happened, because when we work these, we're working with the coroner's office to try and get the coroner as much information as we can, so we can make a determination on the death. Mm -hmm. um, all, all any unattended death has got to be investigated to try and find out exactly what happened to that person, especially at that age. Mm -hmm. um, so. But, you know, and she's not looking at going to jail or any, anything like that. Um, we're not, it's not anything where we're going to run off and tell CPS anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no kids there, so there's, it's not a CPS issue. <clears throat> not to say that they may not find out somehow later down the road, but it's not going to be from us picking up the phone and calling CPS and saying, hey, this is, mm -hmm. this is what's going on. It's not our business. Right. Not to mention, I'll probably forget between now and then, to be honest with you. So. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and get you out of here. Okay. And I'll try to get my home to Stacy. I'm going to get you my card here real quick before I walk you out. Okay. And uh, we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Thanks, Anthony. I already commented on that insanity last week. So I will let you guys come up with your own reaction to this fucker's conclusion about not protecting children. Anyway, so much was left out of his narrative. Why was the interview not transcribed verbatim like every other police interview I have requested? How can any interview be summarized when investigating a death? Brittany deserves facts, not summaries. Okay, on to the next narrative. Oh shit, this guy's fingers must have been sacrificed as well. It's written by C. McKinley on behalf of Detective Chad Rogers. His recollection was created on March 10th, 2017, at 2.34 p.m. It states in part, quote, When we found the deceased, she was in the back bedroom and she had blood and bodily fluid coming from her mouth. She appeared to have been deceased for some time. I processed this crime scene. I began by photographing the apartment as well as Brittany Bell. I photographed pill bottles that were found in a couple different places of the residence. Deputy Coroner Jay Price arrived. He began examining Brittany while I photographed her back and legs. No visible injuries were located. End quote. I'm stopping right here because I cannot believe he said there are no visible injuries. You guys, I have the photos. Brittany Bell does, in fact, have very visible and fresh injuries on her body. He goes on to report, quote, According to Deputy Coroner Jay Price, Brittany appeared to have had a seizure. Her hands and feet were contorted, End quote. So, once again, I completely disagree with this statement. So, I Google searched contorted hands and feet, and I'm telling you, Brittany's hands and feet look nothing like the pictures I saw. I cannot believe what Kokomo Police Department has done to botch Brittany's case from the very beginning, in my opinion. Next in the narrative is this, quote, Coroner J. Price advised me that scene did not appear to be suspicious, at least at the preliminary examination of the scene and of the victim. Ah, you guys, let me know if you would consider this scene to be suspicious or not. Listen to this. Brittany Bell was found with her tank top completely twisted and pulled down below both breasts 
and pulled up, exposing her entire stomach. The tag on the left inside seam is visible almost in the center of her chest. The left strap of her tank top is on the inside of her left breast. You guys, that's like how you would wear a seatbelt in a car, going inside your chest. The right tank top strap is wound underneath her right bra strap with her right breast completely exposed with a bruise about the size of a silver dollar just underneath her nipple. Her left breast is fully covered in her bra. Oh, and she has nothing else on, you guys. No underwear, no pants, no socks, no shoes. Nothing other than a bra covering one breast and a tank top that only covers from about three inches above her belly button to just underneath her breasts. Who in the right mind can say that this scene did not appear to be suspicious? You guys, after hearing all of that, and then adding in that Brittany had fresh, open wounds visible, and what appears to be something similar to a rug burn on her body, how can KPD still not consider this suspicious? I guarantee if this was one of their daughters that was found in this manner, the scene would have been classified as suspicious immediately. Am I right? Next in Detective Rogers' narrative, it states, quote, At approximately 4.05 p.m. prior to leaving, I collected a cell phone that was believed to belong to the victim. At 4.10 p.m., I concluded my scene processing. End quote. Did you catch that? This detective that I would never want on my child's case fucked up his time, not once, but twice. How are these errors not detected and corrected? I don't get it. Most people would get fired for providing false information regarding a crime scene investigation. This report was even reviewed and signed by Lieutenant Haas. And no one caught the PM documentation. Shame on all of you, McKinley, Rogers, and Haas. Would this be acceptable in your child's death investigation? The next narrative was created on May 5th, 2017 at 8.37 a.m. by Sergeant Webster, not to be confused with my online dictionary friend Webster. He stated that on May 4th, 2017, he, quote, submitted an Appendix D request for the computer forensic lab to complete a phone extraction on Brittany's phone, end quote. Webster then reports that on May 5th, 2017, he received a copy of the forensic pathologist's report completed by Dr. Thomas J. Sozio on April 7th, 2017, by Howard County Coroner Dr. Silay, end quote. You guys, I will give you the details of their findings in next week's episode. It's good. The next narrative in the police report is the attempt at unlocking Brittany's phone. Detective Cat states, quote, I found this phone was unlocked and not supported by Celebrite. I also attempted a generic Android bypass unlock and was able to connect to this phone. I was unable to process or obtain any of the data on this phone, end quote. I'm confused, but I'm also not super techie. So he was able to connect to the phone, but unable to process or obtain any data? Hmm. Then, on May 15, 2017, Sergeant Webster sent a subpoena request to T-Mobile for Brittany's phone, and the subpoena was granted. So, you guys, I have been in touch with a couple of officers at Kokomo Police Department 
And so far, the phone records seem to be a bit of a mystery. Even though the subpoena was granted, Kokomo Police Department stated on April 4, 2021, that, quote, Kokomo PD has no cell phone records, end quote. And after that valiant effort in getting into Brittany's phone, which I can't appreciate, but why stop there? Why not ask Indiana State Police to use their resources to get into Britney's phone? And then, while you're at it, let's take a nice good look at Stacy's phone. And how about Vinny's phone? And maybe Anthony's phone? And what about Trent's phone? And all the other people that allegedly were in Britney's apartment the hours leading up to her death. Why? Why not ask for help? Why not do everything possible to get answers for Brittany? If this was your child's investigation, would you have stopped at the local level? You know what? Speaking of Stacy, take a listen to her police interview conducted by Lieutenant Haas on March 22nd, 2017 at 2.12 p.m. Okay. 
always got their room. You don't have any illegal drugs on you, do you? No, I don't. Do you have anything on you that you're going to the bathroom to get rid of? No, you can check me. I have poo. I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't want to tell you that, but I, mean, I had to go when you guys were there. I just... You can guys search me. Here it says, uh, he received another phone call from Stacy, at which point she advised that Brittany had woken up and was no longer unconscious and unresponsive. You, it says here that, uh, according to Anthony, uh, he received a telephone call from you around 2, which point you told him that she'd been taking Clonopin and uh, that she'd obtained through a prescription and she'd become unconscious and unresponsive. No, that I never said, because she never became unconscious and unresponsive with me, or I would have called police. I wouldn't have left, because she never got like that with me. Okay, you say you never said that. She was never asleep? No, she, no she was just violent. I mean, she was like angry. Okay. Why? Why do you suppose Anthony would tell me tell us that? I have no idea why he said that. Okay, and then unless he, he, I mean, I don't know. Unless he just misunderstood me, I did not say that. And he says that he's familiar with the fact that you uh, frequently use illegal drugs, including spice. Is that true? Yes. Okay, I, that's fine. I appreciate you being honest. He told Stacy that he would come pick her up. However, when he came to get her. He wanted to check Brittany, but uh, I was said, already outside. he said he didn't. And Anthony says that he wanted to go in and check her, but you didn't want that to happen. No, I said, you can go in, but I'm out here. Okay. Because I came outside. When I seen him pull in, because I was standing at the window, at her window, I could see him pull in. And when, I pulled, when he pulled in, I came downstairs. Okay, any time on the phone... As he was coming to get you, did you kind of protest him coming no, in? No, I did not. Okay. I no. Okay. And when he pulled in, I came out. He said, "He said, is she okay?" I said, "Yes." Okay. I was like, "I just want to leave." Okay. But you never on the phone said, "No, no. come in." No, I, I did not. In. No, okay. he could have come okay. in at any time. Okay. Okay. You came out. What did you have with you when you walked out? Do you remember? I fell on my blanket because okay. I was only going to be gone that night. And he took you to North Market. Mm -hmm. Because I planned on just crashing there one night. And then I got a call. Okay. And he was dead. Okay. Okay. So you're at. And that's pretty much the last question I have. You're adamantly denying what he says. Yes, because okay. I didn't say she was. She was not. No, because no, I would not have left her like that. During the, during the time that. During that morning, you say you left around 11 or 12. Yes, I believe that was the time I could have been dead. Yes, roughly about 11 or 12. Okay. During that time, she never. No, was she just no. She just got angry. Okay, all right. It was just. Well, let, let, let me tell you the deal here. Okay. We don't know what why she's dead. They've done an autopsy. They don't know why she's dead. Really? Is there something she could have taken? Just the contents and the spice that we did. Something. And then the spice. We had no spice that morning. Not the only thing that she had was colonopin. Okay. Why did just a minute ago you say we didn't? Well, we don't. I mean, we don't. We didn't have any spice. That we we do smoke. We did smoke spice. Right. But that morning we didn't have any. Okay. She had her clonopins. Okay. We did not have any spice that morning. See, here's the deal, Stacy. She's dead. Yes. We don't know why. Her family doesn't know why she's yeah. dead. Somebody knows what she took that killed her. The clonopins. That's what she took in front of me. How many did she take? I don't know how many she took. She. Usually took four or five. But whenever I asked her, she was like, I don't know, four or five. Okay. Since you've got to go to the bathroom, we're going to end this interview. I'll let him run you out to the jail. That way you can do it there. Okay? Oh, I don't know if I can make it to the jail. So uh, I really got to go. Just, just I mean, somebody just search me. Just set tight. Just set tight. I mean, I'll do a strip search all that. Just set tight. Hey. Did you see a bath is out there? Not? We don't have a female, do we? Well, if I have to wait, I will. Yeah, let's wait. Okay. This concludes this interview at approximately 225. No, Okay, what's that about? I don't know. Actually, this interview's not concluded. Or, um, I had a message on Facebook that told me I better watch my life. What's her brother's name? Donnell, Donnell Bell. Where's he lived? I don't know. But he has to be scared to death, sir.
Do you have means to bond out of jail? No, I don't. Okay, there's not a bond right now anyway. Uh, let's get you out to the bathroom. It's, uh, it's still 225. Roy? Okay, and now listen to Haas's narrative of that exact same interview. He writes, quote, I told Stacy that I needed to talk to her concerning the death of Brittany Bell. Stacy told me that she has been homeless for some time and she stayed at different places. Stacy stated she had stayed with Brittany for, few, for a few days. She stated on the day that Brittany died, she left the apartment at approximately 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. She stated that when she left, Brittany was coherent. However, Brittany was angry. Stacy said Brittany had taken Klonopin, which was prescribed to her. She stated Brittany took Klonopin quite often, and she said that Brittany had just had a prescription filled a few days before her death. Stacy said when Brittany took too many Klonopin, which she normally took four or five at a time, she became very angry and violent. Stacy stated that is why she left Brittany's apartment on that day and time. Stacy stated she called her brother-in-law Anthony Jones to pick her up, which he eventually did come pick her up from the apartment. End quote. That's it. Where is the part that he comforts Stacy in the beginning, telling her that she's not getting charged in Brittany's death? Where is the part that she adamantly denies saying Brittany was unconscious and unresponsive. Why was that left out of the narrative? Where is the part that she denies telling Anthony that he can't go up there to check on Brittany? Where is the part that Stacy said Brittany did not take any spice that day? And... What about asking follow-up questions? Maybe something such as, hey, was anyone else at the apartment when you left? Who called you to tell you that Brittany died? When did you retrieve your belongings from the apartment? You guys, I challenge every person listening to find me an interview worse than that one. Stacy was allegedly the last person to see Brittany Bell alive. And this is all you've got, Kokomo PD? I'm almost embarrassed for you. Except I'm not. I will just expose your ridiculousness and let the entire community know that if and when one of their loved ones die suspiciously in Kokomo, Indiana, this is the investigating team they will get. And please note, I use the word investigating very lightly. And to top this episode off, the last narrative I will read is written by Lieutenant Haas. Yeah, the same one that interviewed Stacy so effectively. He wrote the following on November 9th, 2017 at 7.34 a.m. Quote, After having reviewed this case and speaking with Howard County Coroner Stephen Seeley. Coroner Seeley informed me this death investigation has been ruled undetermined. This case is cleared. End quote. How can this be? How can Brittany Bell's case be closed? Brittany's case is 100% solvable. The state police and FBI have tools and resources to prove why Brittany is no longer with us. Kokomo Police Department did not do a thorough investigation, in my opinion, and I will expose every detail to prove my opinion correct. As soon as we get Brittany's case in the hands of Indiana State Police, I have all the confidence in the world that she and her family will get justice. 
with the help of all of you, we know that we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors, fighting for Britney's justice. You guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. This is free and it will help get awareness to the public about the injustices happening to so many grieving families. Thank you so much for all of your support. Also, at can'tstopwon'tstop.store, you can purchase Can't Stop Won't Stop merchandise. That's can'tstopwon'tstop.store. Order soon, though, you guys, so you can show your support at our March for Justice on July 2nd, 2021 in Howard County, Indiana. Huge shout out to Donna Bell, Brittany's mother. You are a force to be reckoned with. Because of you, I am able to share your baby's story. Because of you, we are going to get justice for Brittany, her babies, and your family. I am honored to speak on your behalf and share the truth. It is absolutely disgusting, you guys, what so many grieving families have to go through. What if this happened to your innocent child? What if your loved one's friends staged a crime scene? Would you stop fighting? Would you back down? Hell no. We can't stop and we won't stop fighting until we get answers. You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen. I don't have all the answers. It has been four years he does. since Brittany was taken from all of us. And it has been four years of obstacles and lies from people she trusted trust and from the police. It has been four years that no family should ever have to go through. Brittany, we can't stop, and we won't stop fighting for you and every other victim that deserves justice. You guys, please be sure to join our Facebook group, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, for more information, where Dwayne and I go live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Instagram at MyLindsayAnn. A huge thank you to singer and songwriter Mr. Peace for allowing us the rights to use the song Where'd You Go featuring our beloved Egypt Covington. We appreciate you. Can't wait for next week, you guys. Stop painting.